Hi, good evening, everyone. Good evening, Rabbi Simon. Tonight, we have a uh, fascinating uh, parsha that is not uh, through any achievement of my own, of course. Um, Parsha's Vayishlach uh, begins with the anticipation of the dramatic encounter between Yaakov and Esav. Uh, Yaakov sends Malachim uh, emissaries to inquire about Esav, and they come back with a report which uh, leaves Yaakov greatly uh, worried. So let's begin on page, if you got the stone Chomish on page 172, it is near the beginning of Parshas Vayishlach, Pasuk Ches. Vayira Yaakov Ma'od Vayetzer Lo. So the Torah describes how Yaakov is very worried, very uh, fearful. Vayira Yaakov Ma'od, he's very much afraid. Vayetzer Lo, and he's distressed as well. And he takes a number of measures, as Rashi mentions, well-known military uh, strategy to divide the camp. He sends a tribute to Esau to try to uh, win his uh, favor. And, of course, he prays as well. But what I want to look at closely is what Ksav Sofer tells us about the dual expression, Vayira Yaakov Ma'od. He's very afraid, Vayetzla, and he's distressed as well. There's an irony there if you think about it. Usually... Uh, if a person wants to express well-chosen words, which obviously the Torah is well-chosen, uh, the extent or the acute ex uh, emotion someone is experiencing, then it makes sense to like mention the lesser uh, intents, the, 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 the emotion of lesser intensity, and then the one of further intensity, as if to say, not only this, but that as well. But here it seems to be the opposite. Veira Yaakov Ma'od, Yaakov was very afraid and he was also distressed. We'd be more logical to say he was distressed, but he wasn't only distressed, he was also very much afraid. That would uh, extend and uh, expand on the picture of the anxiety that Yaakov is experiencing. So, Ksab uh, Sefer asks about the fear and the distress, which evidently are clearly related, but they must be different in some way. He also asks about why the Torah says uh, if you look on Pasuk base, verse 12 uh, save me from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esav. Now Yaakov only has one brother. He could just or perhaps more logical would be to say because although he only has one brother um, Esav is more specific. Uh, it doesn't rely on the reader remembering that Yaakov has only one brother. But to say both would be either, again, I won't say redundant or superfluous, but it must have a meaning, must have a purpose. Then he asks another question. According to the well-known comment of Rashi, he told his uh, emissaries to advise uh Yaakov, to advise Esav, that is the second Pasuk in the Parsha verse, uh, Pasuk Hey, so shall you say to my master Esav, so says you, thus says your servant Jacob, I lived with Lavan, or I sojourned with Lavan, and I've stayed until now. 
So Rashi famously says the word Garti is the gematria of Taryag. In fact, it has the same letters as Taryag. So Garti means I dwelled or really I sojourned. It suggests that I, and Rashi mentions that as well, I did not acquire any great eminence there. I was not invited to become a citizen. They didn't give me the keys to the to the town because they value me so much. I was there always as a like an alien uh, in love and guarded. That's the simple meaning. But Rashi also says, Tayag Mitzvah Shamarti. So says Ksav Sofa, what does Esav care about Yaakov's religious observance or shortcoming in religious observance? 613 commandments, of course, it's just a, a, a shorthand, it's just a metaphor to say that I retained my religious probity, my moral uh, compass, and my uh, religious devotion and my service of God was not impaired, was not compromised during my time there. So why should Asaph care? Does he have any great uh, interest in that? What's the relevance of it to, to vis-a-vis Yaakov's relationship with Asaph? So Ksav Sofer has an idea, which we're going to see shortly. He develops further uh, in a later passage, but he expresses the following idea, which I've seen in other Meforshim as well. And that is that Yaakov is concerned about the peril that Esau represents towards him. That's obvious. Esau had previously expressed the intention to kill Yaakov when the opportunity arose, especially when his father died. Esav is very angry and aggrieved, and he's also powerful. He was given the blessing, you shall live by the sword. So it is natural for Yaakov to fear the sword of Esav. Says Esav Sofer, Yaakov has another concern as well, though. And that is that Esav may try to corrupt him. Esav may realize that Yaakov is a, perhaps, a substantial adversary. I mean, even though we think of Yaakov as very cerebral, uh, cultivating the life of the spirit, he's the intellectual, he's the spiritual one, but he may well have had a whole band of, um, you know, uh, staff, household staff, etc., with him as well. Even though he's afraid of Asaph's 400 uh, associates, probably thugs, but maybe Yaakov also was a force to be reckoned with. The point is that Yaakov's fear of Esau was twofold. He was afraid of the hands of Esau, the sword of Esau, but also he was afraid of the brotherhood of Esau. He was afraid that maybe Esau will take a different approach. Rather than a violent approach, he'll take a seditious approach. He will take a more subtle and a more maybe... um, uh, like uh, a strategic approach to corrupting Yaakov. Maybe he will invite Yaakov to join him, which actually he does, as we see later on. And Yaakov is fearful of that as well. When it says that Yaakov is very afraid, he's afraid of the hands, the sword of Esau. But when he says, he's distressed, he's distressed about the brotherhood of Esau. And that's why he says, Miyad Achimiyad Esau. I'm afraid of both faces. I'm afraid of the brotherly love of Esav. And I'm afraid that's miyad achi umiyad Esav. So actually, Yaakov chooses his words, of course, with care. And then that's why he hints to Esav, im lavan garti, I kept tired mitzvahs. Don't think 
that you can corrupt me. Don't think that by showing me the good life and by urging or, or encouraging or maybe luring me to value and to appreciate and to indulge in the, the pleasures and the comforts and the gratification of Olam Hazeh, of this world and the riches of this world, that you can corrupt me. It's true, there is such a possibility, like the Torah says many times, or it says in one place explicitly and hints many times, that because of the prosperity and the comfort and the wealth, the uh, uh, like abandonment of the uh, observance of Hashem may well follow, and actually that has happened uh, frequently in Jewish history, in biblical history, and much closer to our times as well. And by the way, closer to the times of Ksav Sofer also, as we'll see shortly. So Ksav Sofer says, this is why Yaakov said in Lavangarti, and I kept the commandments, because even though I was subject there as well, to unsavory influences. And I had to live with Lavan because he was my father-in-law. He was my uncle, two times father-in-law as well. And he was my employer. For all those reasons, I was under his influence, but I retained my religious probity, uh, uprightness and standards. I kept all of the commandments of the Torah. As I said, that's meant just as a, as a figure of speech, as a, as a metaphor. And then finally he says, I'm worried. He says, Hatsileni na in Posigud base, verse 12, Hatsileni Amiadhimyarisa, Kiarenochioso, because I'm afraid of him, Penyavobi Kani Aimalbanim. So there again, Ksav Sofer says it, it reflects the similar idea. He might come to strike me, but he's less likely to come to kill my wife and my children because what have they done wrong? He wants to kill me. So that's Vihikani. But then when he says, he may well try the other approach with the, the mothers, meaning my wives and the children. He may try the other approach, which is the seditious approach, the friendly approach, the approach of luring the family of Yaakov with the pleasures of the affluence and the comforts and the, grat the, the gratification which it offers. Because... Perhaps the women and the children are more uh, likely or are more susceptible to that kind of, of approach. So that's why he says, Bani. I'm worried that, that he, with regard to me, especially since I've said I'm not easily corruptible, but he may try to kill me. Then the women and the children, he'll try to corrupt. So those are the concerns that Yaakov expresses. We find this hinted to in a few places in this passage. I've pointed out several of them. Now I want to share with you how Ksav Sofer in a different um, passage, excuse me, extends this idea. It's essentially... A, uh, a further elaboration on the same idea, but in a uh, in a way that I have not seen in the other Mefarshim. And I'm referring here to the famous wrestling match, the most famous wrestling match that I'm aware of. I don't follow uh, uh, professional wrestling very much uh, at all. Um, but the famous wrestling match that is familiar to me, and I'm sure to all of us, is when Yaakov contends, strives with an assailant. 
And the Torah says that Yaakov was left alone. If you're with me in the stone, Chumash, it's on page 174. Whatever Chumash you have, though, it's Pasuk Chafhei, verse 25. So chapter 32, verse 25. That's interesting. Uh, this Ish, this anonymous assailant, is identified by Rashi and many of the commentaries as Saroshel Esav, the guardian angel of Esav. In fact, even the commentators that usually follow a very, excuse me, a straightforward interpretation, meaning they they tend to shun or or uh, you know prefer rather than the midrashic a more straightforward approach, the pshat. But they all say that, that I have seen at least that this was an, an angel. It's difficult to take it at face value that the Torah is telling us in quite a lot of detail, how he was uh, assaulted by a would-be mugger in the, in the dead of night. It clearly has much greater significance, especially because he asked him his name, he says, bless me, and that sort of thing. It's quite evident, uh, unless you take the view, which could also be of the Rambam, that it was all a prophetic vision. It was all a, a, a dream, uh, in which case, uh, again, the same conclusion I think we would reach, that it has metaphorical meaning, metaphysical meaning uh, as well. So whether it happened in actuality, as the Torah seems to imply, or you take the view of the Rambam, that it was all in Yaakov's, uh, not just in his imagination, but it was a prophetic uh, vision which he beheld. In any case, clearly this is a uh, a wrestling match for the ages. But the Ksav Sofer like uses as his starting off point this one word so rashi explains the meaning of that word rashi has two suggestions he says that if you take a look at rashi for those who have rashi's commentary menachem piresh is quoting menachem ben saruk he wrote a book called machberet menachem he was a grammarian rashi quotes him uh, quite often Menachem Pirish Beis Afar Ish Miloshon Avak. Afar is dust. Avak is dust. Afar really is like dirt. We mentioned last week. Zarcha Kafar Arts in my voice note for those who remember it. If you don't remember it, you can still listen to it. Find it in your email from last week. Um, so Menachem says. Uh, Rashi quotes the first opinion, which probably is closer to the Pshat, although they're both really Pshat. The first one is afar. They kicked up dust. People who are uh, wrestling with one another, like a, an old style uh, brawl in the Westerns, uh, you know, where two people are slugging it out. So they kick up a lot of dust. So that's they, 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 they uh, generated dust. Again, much, much more has been said in a, in a Midrashic vein and other ways, but Rashi is taking us along the Pshat. He says another possibility, the word Vayeyavek is like the word Vayechavek, because the letter Ches, if it's pronounced in a certain very guttural way, it sounds almost like an Aleph. Vayeyavek, Vayechavek, which means to embrace. He says people who are fighting, so they're wrestling with them. They're not boxing, they're wrestling. So they're holding one another. They're, they're striking one another. They're trying to... Um, uh, you know, throw one another to the ground. Maybe they succeed and they get up again and the battle, the brawl continues. So Rashi says those two possibilities. Says Iksav Sofer, there is a weakness in the second suggestion of Rashi, which maybe is why Rashi also had the first 
proposal. And that is that the word and he grasped or gripped is usually used in an expression of a hug or an embrace. If it's uh, for those who are familiar with some of certain halachos uh, that are relevant to married uh, couples, there's a uh, what's described as chivuk v'nishuk. Chivuk is to embrace, nishuk is to kiss, uh, an expression of affection, uh, great warmth and closeness. And the word vayechavek is more often associated with love and and. Uh, affection rather than a wrestling match. So even though there may be a certain superficial similarity, but of course the purpose and the function is very different. Says Iksav Sofer, that is exactly the meaning of the two interpretations of Rashi here. One possibility is that they're fighting. It's a fight to the finish or nearly to the finish. She's more to fight at least until one of the combatants says he needs to leave, which is what happens in our in our uh, description here in the in the parsha. Um, so says Iksav Sofer that is the uh, approach of Asab, which is violent, which is uh, with malicious intent, malevolent intent harmful intent, he wants to clobber him, he wants to even kill him in the course of this fight to the finish. That's one possibility. But he says, Masa avos siman lebonim. The experiences of the fathers are a portent for the children, that very important principle, which means that the uh, uh, experiences that are recounted in the book of Bereshis, some Shmos as well, foreshadow Jewish history. Says Iksav Sofer, Esav, representing Edom, that is to say the, the last of the four exiles in which we still find ourselves to this day. Esav has both sides to him. He has the violent side. He has the side which seeks to destroy the Jewish people physically. And there have been many instances of that in the course of, of Jewish history. Uh, many bloody and and uh, fateful and um, very uh, uh, tragic uh, eras in our history when that has been our experience. But you know what? They have not succeeded at all. I mean, there was a lot of suffering and forced um, conversion and forced emigration. I don't want to downplay it at all. But the fact is that the Jewish people have a resilience and have a response to that kind of pressure, which is to draw on the deep resources of faith and determination. One of the fascinating subjects, a footnote, but a very important footnote to the study of anti-Semitism, if I were to write a book, I would include a chapter in the book on the failure of anti-Semitism. This is sometimes overlooked that if anti-Semitism has sought the destruction of the Jewish people, which it certainly has, it has definitely uh, uh, failed. And I don't want to go into it length because this is not that chapter in my anti-Semitism book, but uh, that is the, the pattern in which the, uh, the sword of Esau has evoked in the Jewish people a resilience and a determination and an uprightness, which Esav, in his many forms, has not been able to 
displaced. But there's another side to Esau. There's another form of encounter, which was the embrace. And here it says Ksav Sofa, and he's uh, certainly alluding to the circumstances in his own time. Uh, you know, Ksav Sofa lived in Preshburg, in, uh, a, a, um, in, which is part of the, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It was a prosperous city, and the Jewish people in the mid-19th uh, century in Preshburg and, and in his cultural milieu, in some cases, I was going to say many, perhaps as exaggeration, some cases were quite prosperous. And I would say generally that the opportunities for Jewish people were certainly greatly expanded compared to what they were a generation or two before. In other words, assimilation was uh, happening all around. It says Iksav Sofer that this is the other approach of Esav. This is the chibuk venishuk, the embrace and the kiss of Esav, in which the Jewish people are given a certain amount of uh, respect, opportunity, even the possibility of citizenship, which, again, until that time had been only a, a uh, dream. And therefore, says Iksav Sofer, the Jewish people mix with the nations of the world, they learn from their ways, and this uh, form of like uh, a threat is more grievous. It's what some, I mean, he doesn't use the term, of course, but what some have called the soft Holocaust. He says as well that if we look a few verses later, actually, it's not much later, it's in the, it's in the very following verse in Pesach Chavav. He saw the assailant, saw that he could not overcome him, overcome Yaakov. And he touched the socket of his thigh. And his thigh was dislocated. So Ksav Sefer asked, why does the Torah have to add Beheav Koimo? We know that that's what it's talking about. It said in the previous Verse, it's of course part of this struggle of this wrestling match. Why add on behalf koimo? We we don't need that. It is evident that that's the context of this like uh, final attempt on the part of the salient to harm Yaakov. Says Iksav Sofer, behalf koimo refers, like we were saying just now, to the second form. The first form was trying to deliver a knockout blow. It didn't succeed. The second form is the chivuk, is the embrace. And there, says Iksav Sofer, he was partially successful because Yaakov was now limping. He can't stand upright. In the face of the assault, the physical peril, the Jewish people are resolute and upright. But in the face of the opportunity of assimilation, the Jewish people are weaker and they are limping as a result. We are going to limp to the redemption. The sun rises and Yaakov is limping. At this stage in Jewish history, when we are experiencing the uh, welcome of Esau, again, he could not foresee that within a century there would be a a catastrophic turning back to the other face of Esau. But says Iksav Sofer uh, that the 
uh, modern experience of the Jews in the modern world, which I would say is true for us today as well, uh, involves uh, in some cases a, a a watering down, in some cases a a uh, like a diminution of the stalwart, the upright, the resolute conviction of the Jewish people, and therefore he says we limp possibly to the to the redemption, and uh, this he says is hinted to. Also for Teka Kaf Yerach Yaakov, I mean, this I'd like to suggest that it might be also a hint to the nature of the assimilation in which the uh, like interaction and the maybe convivial um, uh, relations with the nations of the world lead to forms of assimilation and an intermarriage as well. And that might be a a hint in the Yerech Yaakov, the thigh of Yaakov, which could well be used in a euphemistic way, as we find elsewhere, uh, elsewhere in the Torah as well. So it could be a, a an allusion to the possibility of intermarriage and the intermingling, which clearly uh, undermines the the conviction of the Jewish people collectively. This is what he says, Ksav Sofer says about Ve'avek Ish Imo, again, as I said earlier, elaborating on the same theme about the two faces of Asa. In the short while we have left, we have time for another beautiful comment of Ksav Sofer that I would love to share with you. And this is in the next chapter when Yaakov and Esav finally meet. And when they do, Esav is in a um, uh, fraternal, he's full of fraternal love. And uh, it says it uh, in Pasuk Dalet, verse 4, page 176, Esav, it's in Paraklam Gimel 33, verse 4, Vayaratz Esav, likraso, ya, Esav runs to greet him, and he embraces him. Here you have the word explicitly as an embrace. And he fell on his neck. And he kissed him. And they cried. Anyway, Yaakov has sent Esau tribute, waves of gifts of expensive and valuable livestock. And uh, Esau says... Um, uh, he sees all of the family of Yaakov, and he says, who are these? And Yaakov says, well, God has granted them to me. And everybody approaches Esau, that is to say, the other members of Yaakov's family, they bow down, etc. And then uh, Esau uh, says in Pasuk Ches, what's all of this camp that I saw, Asher Pagashti, that I encountered? And Yaakov said, well, this is a gift to find favor in the eyes of my master. It's a tribute. Again, he's he's uh, seeking to win his favor. I suppose he has succeeded because we see Esav is all full of uh, love and brotherly affection. I've got plenty. My brother, you keep what is yours. So Yaakov says, Please take my gift from my hand, etc. Take a look at Pasuk Yoralev. Uh, Please take my blessing, which has been brought to you. Because God has been gracious to me and I have everything. 
He importuned him, he urged him, and he did take it in the end. Says Iksav Sofer, a beautiful idea. Asaph says, Yeshli, Rav, I've got plenty, I've got lots. Yaakov, and therefore I don't need the, the gift that, that you've uh, given me, you, you keep it. And Yaakov says, God has been gracious to me, the call, and I have everything. So says the Ksav Sofer in the name of his father, the Chassam Sofer, Ramosha Sofer, he says that a Rasha, a wicked person, is never satisfied. Asaph said, I've got lots, but there's always room for more. I have plenty, but there's always room for more. Uh, it says a, 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 a wicked person, he never feels as if he has all he needs. He always wants more. So even Asaph, though he says, I've got lots, I've got plenty. When Yaakov urges him, he does take it. It's a bit like the Duchess of Windsor. One can never be too rich or too thin. So that was Esav's uh, approach. Yaakov says, Yeshli Kol. How can he have everything? So uh, Chassam Sofer says that because he is a righteous person, he feels satisfied with whatever he has. And whatever Hashem has given him, he feels that's enough. That meaning, I, 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 that is, I, it's as if I have everything. Even though uh, Steve Wright said, you can't have it all, where would you put it? But Yaakov feels, I have everything. Now, that's what he says in the name of his father. Again, just to clarify, Esav says, Yeshli Rav. Yaakov says, Yeshli Kol. So says Chassam Sofer, a wicked person never feels completely satisfied, completely content. He always wants more. Whereas a righteous person, Yaakov can say, not every righteous person, but Yaakov could say, Yeshli Kola have everything. Adds the Ksav Sofer a beautiful idea. He says, the reason that a person who is not righteous never feels satisfied is that if a person prospers because, he says, because of his mazal, because of the constellations, you know, one could also attribute it to some uh endeavor and business savvy and hard work as well. But if a person profits and he becomes wealthy because of those reasons, then it says, uh, one who loves money will never be satisfied, will never feel as if he has enough money because he loves money. He loves the dollar and that's why he pursues the dollar. And that's why he earns a lot of money and always wants more. But, and here's his Chiddush, beautiful Chiddush. Yaakov says, Ki elokim, The wealth that I have comes from a gift of God. And when Hashem gives a person wealth, Hashem also gives him the quality of appreciating the wealth and being satisfied with the wealth. That's a beautiful idea. Ki elokim, because I, my wealth is because of the grace of God, I feel as if it's a blessing, it's a gift from Hashem. Then the called. That's why I feel that I have everything. Because when Hashem grants a person wealth, he also gives him the feeling of satisfaction, the feeling of contentedness. That's why Yaakov said, because my, my blessing, my wealth comes from Hashem, so therefore I can give generously. I don't mind giving to you. And I, it doesn't make me feel as if I'm somehow diminishing what I should have because it all comes from Hashem. So since I have that sense of coming, it's all a gift from Hashem, so therefore I'm happy to give it to you. just want to mention, I know I've mentioned in the past in various contexts, uh, I had a very good friend, late friend, uh, Bensi Dunner, who was 
uh, very successful in business. He was not from a wealthy family. He happened to marry into a wealthy family, but he was very successful and he was extremely charitable, very, very generous. And I would say that Bensi Duner was a manifestation of this. He always felt that whatever he had, the the uh, wealth that he had, uh, uh, um, I don't want to say accumulated, but the wealth with which he was blessed, again, I'm sure through his own, uh, you know, uh, hard work, etc. It was all a gift from Hashem and it enabled him to give to others. And he felt that his wealth was a great blessing because it enabled him to give to others, which he gave with great, great generosity and always with great joy. And I would say that he was an example of what Ksav Sofer says here about Yaakov. He felt he had everything because whatever he had, he felt it was a gift from Hashem. And when Hashem gives a person a gift, he also gives him the chain, that 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 uh, uh, quality of appreciating and feeling as if he has all of his all of his needs are met. So these are some excuse me, ideas from the uh, so, so far, just to uh, to review quickly, uh, there are two faces of Esav. There's the hands of Esav, the sword of Esav, and there's also the embrace of Esav. And that explains also, they were brawling, but the other possibility is, he was embracing. And although Rashi seems to say it was all part of the, the description of the fight, Ksav Sofer says actually Chivuk is much more associated with love, with an embrace, with affection. And that was also part of the battle. That was the part of the battle that left Yaakov limping. He was no longer upright. And so the Jewish people are maybe limping towards the Geula, towards the final redemption, may become speedily in our days. Thank you very much. And I wish everyone a good Shabbos. Uh, excellent share by Simon. Thank you. Joining. Thank you. Anyone who's coming. Thank you very much. Shabbos. And Shabbat Shalom. Asav's embrace. Uh, no, no. I'm sorry. That was tonight. We're doing feminine wiles after Kiddush uh, uh, and Shabbos. Uh, if you're local, please join us for that. Shabbat Shalom to everyone. Thank you. Oh, I just wanted to tell you something in Italy. Perhaps the most anti-Semitic thing that there was. On the 27th of November, a newspaper in the South titled uh, 6,150 Jesuses Killed by Israel. Really? And then a TV channel set run, a very visible and very anti-Israel in Rome. And there was in the survey of headlines, the very first headline, the anchor approvingly just read that, that headline. The first headline. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay, thank you for really the point of Brian. We really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you, Lala Tov. Good job, everyone. Thank you, Rabbi Lala Tov. Good job, Shabbos. Shabbos. Shabbos.